0: place this evening. God, it's so easy to merely go through the motions outwardly. We ask that you would, by your spirit this evening, by faith, cause um, the light of Christ to dawn in our hearts this evening. We thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel. We ask that it would be impressed upon us today, Lord, that we would feel not only the the high call that you've called us into, but we would feel the loving embrace of our Father who sees us and knows us, who gives us uh, everything we need for today. Lord, we ask that you would do that tonight by faith. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I encourage you to open your Bible to Second, Second Corinthians chapter five and six. Our reading, our New Testament lesson this evening. That's on page 908 of your Pew Bible if you didn't bring your Bible with you. So if if a few of us gathered this morning to get some ashes on their forehead, um, you don't have to worry, don't worry about that. You're not a better Christian if you did or you don't, that's okay. Uh, But one of the cool things that I experience often is that when our daily office lessons line up with the evening prayer or or the, the service for that night, Um, And it's not exactly intentional. It's not intentional. So our morning prayer readings this morning were not specifically for Ash Wednesday. And yet our New Testament lesson this morning was Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 just before our gospel reading that we heard this evening. Matthew 4 begins with a very appropriate, perhaps the most appropriate Lenten story. Um, a story that we're going to rehearse actually from Mark's gospel on Sunday, on the first Sunday in Lent. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. We're familiar with the story. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Matthew tells us why the Spirit led Jesus there into the wilderness. It was to be tempted by the devil. It was on purpose. A very appropriate reading today as we begin a season of wilderness preparation. So if you don't know it, 40 days from today, and that's not counting Sundays, and we can get into that and talk about that later, but not counting Sundays, 40 days from today, we will begin the great 50 days of Easter with Easter Sunday. Okay, And so we're excited about that. We're looking forward to that. And so this is a very appropriate reading. Jesus, who is fully man he doesn't play the god card in this case after 40 days of fasting he's quite hungry you can imagine the devil's first temptation is understandably about food about food command these stones to become loaves of bread he said to jesus and jesus responds to the devil's temptation by quoting deuteronomy many of us are familiar with this Man shall not live by bread alone. He needs bread, and he feels that deeply. Not alone, though. We live, we find life by every word that God speaks to us. This is his response. So after the wilderness temptation, begins, his, Jesus begins his public ministry in the rest of chapter 4, and he calls his first disciples, and he does this with a familiar phrase, follow me. Matthew chapter 5, he goes up onto the mountain, and he begin, begins his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew chapter 6, which we heard a little bit of it this evening, this is the central section of the sermon, Jesus, is te- Jesus teaches His disciples how to fast, and how to give, and how to pray. So let's rehearse the order of this from this morning up until this evening. Fasting and temptation in the wilderness, then the call for His disciples to follow Him, and then He tells them how to follow Him. So you see the order in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus fasts he, he demonstrates he calls his disciples and then he says how to fast this is the order jesus's example the call to follow and instructions how to follow are you following me okay you follow me okay let's let's I want, I want to be clear here so i'm gonna i'm gonna illustrate this even more saint leo the great in the fifth century he began his lenten exhortation teaching about fasting. And he goes into some amazing uh, Christological discussions, and I'm not going to get into that night, but begins with fasting. And that's for good reason. We can already see that. Leo said that we should fast. He He calls us to stop indulging the flesh. This is what fasting is. And when we fast, Leo says, from food, we should also fast with our mind and so we can think about matthew chapter 6 our mind a fast is not only something we do outwardly it's a holy and spiritual thing leo says only when it rejects the food of error so he's pointing to ideas or things that happen in our minds and the poison of falsehood he's going against heresy in this sermon which our crafty and wily foe plies us with more treacherously now. So I love that old language. Um, Leo exhorts us to follow Jesus' wilderness example. It's exactly what we see in the gospel. As we fast for 40 days in preparation for... He's looking forward to the Paschal Feast, which is a way to say Easter. He's looking forward to this feast. As we follow Jesus the wily foe, or else the devil will be even more treacherous in our weakness. And so he's, he's, he's reflecting on this idea. What, we have es- what, what have we established so far in this sermon? What have we established from Matthew's Gospel and from St. Leo, both of them together, is, is this central, what I, what I would call Lenten logic. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by this Lenten logic? Here it is. Jesus did this, follow him. Follow Jesus. There is the Lenten logic. That's why we are going into Lent and doing this 40-day fast at all, is to follow Jesus. He did something. He calls us to follow him as his disciples, and he tells us how to do something, not only with our actions, but how we think about that, with our whole bodies, with our bodies and our minds. So at the beginning of Lent, it's good to say, and I think we need to hear this: following Jesus is good. That's it sounds like a kind of a no-duh, but following Jesus is good. Full stop. But tonight, I want to reimagine the logic of Lent with you. I know that's a kind of a funny phrase. I want to change our imaginative perspective on Lent by turning to Paul's letters to the Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians for quite a while and we've had a reading in 2 Corinthians tonight. And Paul's logic in his two Corinthian letters, it certainly includes everything that we've talked about so far. So this exhortation to follow Jesus, and we should expect this because it's all over the gospel. So hear this from Paul's first letter. For though you have countless guides in Christ, You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, Paul says. I urge you then be imitators of me. You hear this? This following logic, follow me. Not not dry performance. He calls us to intimate imitation. This is be like me, like a father is to a child. But there's a deeper logic all throughout both of Paul's letters that I want to focus on. And perhaps, maybe this is because I'm reading a lot of uh, Narnia right now with Ellie, perhaps a deeper magic, a deeper magic that is written, that's underneath all of these letters. And I believe it can help us practice a holy Lent. So that's what we're going to do just for a little bit longer here this evening. Our New Testament lesson begins with the word, therefore, in chapter 5, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians. And because I was trained at a Baptist seminary, and because grammar is important, we need to know what that therefore is there for, y'all. Okay, so looking, looking earlier uh, in chapter 5, and verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, just before our reading, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, I don't know if you've been like me and you've been nerding out about Apple Vision Pro the last several weeks, but tonight I am going to propose a spatial metaphor, okay? We're going to exist in space for a little bit, and I want to take you from one perspective of looking at following Jesus to a different perspective of following Jesus, okay? That's my goal, okay? So we're going to go, we're going to talk about being in Christ before following after Christ, okay? We've been talking this whole time about following after Christ, and I want to shift us into a place of imagining ourselves to being in Christ. Christ. And so if you are in foundations uh, right now or a sponsor, you've probably heard this recently. I've, I was reflecting on this a little bit last Saturday. Um, and this is not me being nitpicky. I'm not being persnickety here. Trust me, this is really important. The fundamental, and this is really important for especially Lent, but for all of life, the fundamental first metaphor of the gospel is not imitation. The first metaphor is not following after Christ, imitating Christ or else imitating anyone else. It's union with Christ, okay? It's not after Christ, it's in Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? So most of us imagine the Christian life like I've been talking about this whole time, and there's good reason to. We imagine ourselves Outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, or maybe we, d- we would say behind Christ. We're following after Christ. So you hear the, hear the spatial metaphor? We are behind Him. We're outside of Him. We are following Him. This is imitation language. We can think of Matthew's Gospel. We can think of St. Leo the Great. We could go on and on. Look at this perfect example and then follow this perfect example. That's, that's what we're talking about here. We all know that we can't measure up to Jesus. This is a, a hard thing, a hard person to follow. We all say, well, he's perfect. He's perfect. I can't measure up to him. So thankfully, Paul says, imitate me, imitate me. So we might even imagine ourselves in this sort of spatial metaphor. We might imagine ourselves to be following after another Christian, Maybe someone who we imagine to be closer to Jesus. So think about this metaphor. I'm, I'm like way behind Christ, and then someone else is maybe a little bit closer to Christ. And so I, I don't want to imagine myself following Jesus because that's way too hard. So I'll just follow someone else, okay? That's where we're at in our imagination. So maybe you're imagining that person to be autumn or... Josiah, certainly not the younger. No, I'm just kidding. But imagine someone who is discipling you, right? C.S. Lewis. It could be. It could be me. It doesn't matter. I know he's not perfect. He says it all the time, and that's what I love him about him. I love that person. I want to follow after them because they're humble. He's still out in front of me, but it makes me want to follow him as he's following after Jesus. This is good. This is good. This is the after Christ metaphor. This is the following after Christ metaphor. We see this in our reading at the beginning of chapter 6 in verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then the rest of our reading is Paul's list of a bunch of ways that he commends himself. So he says, here's a bunch of ways in which I... And some of them are surprising but it's all a bunch of ways that Paul is imitating Christ. He's following after Christ, and so he commends himself so that we might follow after him. Following Christ, following good examples is good, but, as I want to argue, union is the first and foundational metaphor. Look with, look with me at chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, and hear this language, this is really important, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We think about earlier this, this reading that we had, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus is not, at first, the righteous example that we follow after. Even though this is the place where we live a lot of our Christian lives, we live a lot of it in this imaginative space, and certainly as we enter into Lent, this is not the first and best example. He puts us into himself. This is Paul's language. We are joined to him, we are united to him. He is made to be sin. Why is he made to be sin? Because we are, we are united to him. So he's taking ourselves upon himself so that, Paul says, in him, again, we're not following after him, we are in him, we're in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so let's turn our imagination to Lent. Why does this shift, this spatial shift of being after Christ or else following after Christ, to being in Christ matter. Matthew chapter 4, again, rehearsing this story, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. So rather than imagine yourself following Jesus as you fast in your own Lenten wilderness, so here's Jesus' example. Now I'm about to go into my own Lenten wilderness. Don't imagine that. Imagine yourself in Christ even as he goes into the wilderness on your behalf, and he conquers the devil for you. His perfect fast for you. Man does not live about on bread alone. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9 Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, when you pray, when you give alms, when you fast, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whatever Lenten discipline, in every action, we come with boldness before the Father. But what is the argument? Don't imagine yourself to be outside of Christ as maybe sort of the redheaded stepchild in sort of the family of God, the household of God, following after the example of Jesus. Imagine yourself in Christ. You are in the Son. You have put on Christ, Paul says, and now you have a father. You have the audacity to call him father, not because you're sort of just lingering in the household following. You are in the son you are in the son he is your father we are in him his prayer is now our prayer we can join in with him when you pray don't imagine yourself to be outside of christ you're not behind him following after him you're in him you're in him and because you are in the son you can come with boldness before your father from inside, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. This is the first metaphor of the gospel. It's our union with Christ. It's not primarily a performance metaphor. It's an it's a ontological, I'm changed. I'm in a new thing. I'm a new creation. I am in Christ, in Him. You are an adopted son And daughter of the Father. It's easy to start Lent, it's easy easy to start with and get stuck in the logic of following. And there's good reason for this. 40 days maps onto 40 days. Jesus fasted, and therefore we fast. But if this is the dominant metaphor, if following is the thing that we put all our hope in, we are exposed. Don't you feel that? We're exposed as fickle and weak or else bad followers. We're so far behind and that place of being makes Lent very difficult to be in. Lent is a season for worthily lamenting our sins as we've read in prayers, for acknowledging our wretchedness, for coming with true repentance, true penitence, And by grace, our Father forgives us and he creates and makes in us new and contrite hearts. And so the following after Christ metaphor shows us our frailty over and over again. And that's an okay place to be. But more and more this Lent, don't imagine yourself following after Jesus as example. Imagine yourself in him, inside of him, as if. He is an armor that you're putting on. You're made righteous inside of him. And because you are in him, what you do matters. It's not it's not about performing or following. It's because you're united to him. What you do matters. Do you not know that your bodies are a part of Christ? Paul says you're in him. This is his imagination. You are united to Christ. In Christ, our body is a part of his body. So when you fast, don't fast as someone following an example, but as one who's inside Christ, who is already satisfied in him. You have everything you need, you are united to him. Imagine yourself to be in Christ, in a place of safety and security in him because of his righteousness. Not not in a place of performance, but of intimacy. Not after him, desperately trying to measure up, but in him, secure. You are the righteousness of God. And because of this security, it doesn't mean that we are passive in Lent. It doesn't mean that there's no calls to obedience and action. It doesn't mean any of that, but because you are secure in Him and you're not performing and always trying to catch up and follow after Him, because you're united to Him, Paul says, glorify God with your body, with every action. Whether you do it outwardly or in- inwardly, you are united to Him. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Give generously in secret because you have everything provided for you within the Godhead. You are, you have genis- he has generously provided for you all things. Pray, don't perform fast, and even feast, feast with generosity and not gluttony. Drink with thanksgiving and not drunkenness. You are not outside Constantly not measuring up, you are in. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Walk by him this Lent. Walk with him this Lent. And mostly, set this first in your mind. Walk in him this Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.